This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. From music to maps, money and modernity, this is where ideas come to life. Welcome to another episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. My name is Kanjana Teporirak, and I will be your host for this episode. I'm very happy to be here and welcome our esteemed Southeast Asian collection librarian, who, as he mentioned, he just confessed to us all today that he is a secret poet. Um, and we are here to discuss his writing, his experience. Please welcome... Fan Yen Hao. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me here, Kenjana. I love that you started your talk today with a confession that you're a secret uh, poet and that prompted another faculty member at our Center for Southeast Asian Studies to also confess. So now I'm sitting here wondering how many of us are <laughs> secret poets, you know, so thank you for getting that started. And we, we are so happy to have such a accomplished poet in our midst. Um, I remember when I first started here, that was one of the first things that I was told during my campus campus visit, because I visited the collection, you know, do the, the rounds, and somebody had whispered to me, you know, our librarian's <laughs> a poet. And I was like, oh my God, that's so amazing. So it's been now eight years in the making for us to sit down and talk about your writing. And um, I, I want to confess I'm a secret poet too. Oh. Well, so maybe we'll have a secret know. poetry reading <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> here on campus. But after having read your work now, I need to go work on revisions or something <laughs> because this is, this is quite good. Um, so how did you arrive at, at poetry? We all have different paths that we took to get there. Yeah. I, I think my, I think I just, Somehow, at a very early age, I knew that I, I like literature in general and in particular poetry, but also because of poetry is around, uh, you know, in, in Vietnam. Uh, people read poetry, you see poetry on a lot of publications, even like on the new lease, newspapers, there are always sections for poetry. So if you read, if you, when you read the news, you also read some poetry. And in school, you learn poetry. Usually, you have to learn by heart. You have to learn the whole poems by heart. So, and the country, I think, has a long tradition of, of writing poetry, reciting poetry. Um, but also, I, 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 I just feel comfortable. I, I feel good when I read a good, good, good poem. And in, 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 in a way, it's easier yeah it's easier to write a poem than like a short story than than you know like a novel uh so i feel i feel like some people might argue with you on that point yeah. but go on no yeah it's, it's, uh, to write a good poem is not easy but like to start as a child just uh -huh. to write something it's always easier to start with a po a poem right uh that's that's that seems to be like something very quite natural I mean, if you write a short story or you write a novel, you need some, you know, you know, some technical uh, 
you know, you need some techniques you know, to put things together in a good way. But poetry, in a way, is is, is quite natural. It's it's like um, like a talking, like you know, uh, in in rhyme. So so that's why I I think I, how I started uh, writing poetry. And also people around me, like my friend, he, they said, okay, good poetry, so that I continue to write. Ah, okay. okay. Do you remember the first piece that you read that really spoke to you as a kid that said, okay, this is this is a good way to express myself? Hmm. You know, I, I don't remember exactly the world, but I think the one that I still remember was the one that I wrote when I was in... I want that's, re- that's really, like, I can... I could consider it as as a poem mm. that when I was in high school, maybe in uh, in eleventh grade, it was a love poem. Of course, yeah, for sure. You were you know yeah. you were seventeen. Yeah, but it's <laughs> you know it's. Uh, Did you give it to somebody? No. Oh, no. it was an unrequited love poem. Yeah, and it's like uh, full of suffering and things like that. It even wasn't very real. You know what I mean? It's it's just like you have to be suffer to be to be romantic. In love, right? Right. So well, at least at seventeen. <laughs> yeah. No. So it, so the poem basically, like, you know, I I met the person, and then we we went. Um, uh, we said after that we 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 you know we went our own way, and then three years ago we we met again, and then now thing has changed, and I saw the person, but she's like a stranger to me. You know, it wasn't even. I don't know. I it it's just like. Uh, it's not even. Do you still have a copy of it? <laughs> I I could find I could find it, but I I forgot it a long time ago. But I still remember in general that's the idea of the poem, and it 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 was quite skillfully written, you know. Um, so so my friends you know, liked it, and it sounds like also quite classic, you know. But but in a way, it's not very real, you know. Something that you just imitate others. Ah, so who were you imitating in that piece? Um, uh, a romantic uh, a poet by the name Sung Yu, who was uh, one of the, the f- most famous um, romantic poets uh, of the 1930s, 40s in Vietnam. So when, when I was a young person writing, I, of course, you know, you're trying to emulate your heroes, right? Your literary heroes, and you, you see a novel form present it to you and you kind of want to try your hand at it. Did you go through a phase at all where you tried on, say, different poetic shoes to see which one fits your voice the best? Yes. Uh, but I think, yeah, but that, that period didn't last very long. I, I, th- I think somehow I found my voice, my own voice pretty quickly because I, I, had, I just had so much thing to say. Ah. You know what I mean? Uh, my life wasn't happy at that time. It was after the war. Uh, you know, life was very difficult in Vietnam. I always have something to say. I mean, emo- emotionally, my life's not is not like a f- happy to to go to imitate other people. Mm-hmm. I have so many things to say already. Um, I don't know if there are happy poets, are there? No, not really. But I, I mean, not that I've met. Yeah, but I mean, we were in a very difficult period of time. Uh, in Vietnam at that time, uh, if you know, like after the war, um, life was difficult. Real, literally, people were hungry. Mm-hmm. Literally, uh, when I was in college, uh, I was hungry a lot of time. I mean, really. Uh, and then uh, there was a war going on in Cambodia, which they sent, uh, you know, men to fight. Mm-hmm. And then, then people it was escaped. Like right immediately after one war ended. Yes, in 1979. 
and then a lot of people escape by seas, uh, you know, to uh, out of the country, and a lot of them die. It, it was a very um, difficult period of time, and yeah. So you had a lot to say. You found your own voice, and then you started getting published fairly early. Yes. Right. Yes. When I when I was in college, I think that. Uh, in my third year in college, I sh- I, sh- I started to publish on a, a, a major literary, literary uh, newspaper in, in Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City, and I I was I were hanging out with uh, young poets, and I I were kind of recognized as as an emerging voice, a promising voice at that time. What was the poet scene like? Every time and space has a very specific uh, collective of voice. Right in poetry, what was what was that environment like at the time as you were just starting to get published and coming into your own as a poet? Yes, so it was uh, late nineteen eighties, nineteen eighty eight to ni- to nineteen nineties. Uh, at that time, Vietnam started to open you know, uh, after a period of, of isolation, um, and then and then. Um, you see some changes. So, so in a way, you had a little bit more freedom to express yourself, although you know you cannot be too political, you cannot be too critical of the government and so on. But it's also a time that you feel a sense of freshness in, mm. in, in literature. Um, and, um, so, and the people I hang, out, I hang out with, they are very um, strong poets. They, they're poets with, like, you know, they're not romantic poets mm-hmm. they they are people with political ideas people who 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 want to be you know um strong voices mm-hmm. um so it it was uh, interesting um although censorship was still there uh just for for instance i have a very close friend who was also a good very poet he managed to publish a book a, a poetry somehow you know the the publisher got his book published but very quickly only a month after that, there was a, um, you know, a, re- a request from the government oh, wow. to, to a recall, to recall to all of those books. But things like that. So on, you know, but you know, but of course, you always talk about writing in in cafes <laughs> and in Vietnam, like you know, in other countries, we sit for hours in, in cafe talking. Of course, uh, I think that's true for any kind of poetry collective. <laughs> yeah, you need a lot of caffeine. <laughs> yeah, but also it's it's in Vietnam too. I mean, it seems to be people have more time. You know, it's uh, um, yeah. It it there wasn't a lot of thing to do to be honest at that time. Uh, I was in college, but um, other other than um, a, apart from going to school, we spend a lot of time talking. Um, so I would say it's, it's, it was quite a vibrant atmosphere for literature at that time. There's a lot of promises, there's a lot of um, hope, you know, that thing will change and things will get better. Although eventually um, it seemed, the, the government seemed to, to close off everything. You know, at, at that time they, they wanted to open it for a while and then they, it seemed like they, it's out of control. They regretted their they decision. They regretted, yeah. So, so they, it's, it's getting... Um, uh, getting you know tight again, but I, I already left by that time, 1991. Do you know where the other poets in your circle are at this point? You know if they're still writing. They they still they still writing. Um, I still know all of them because you know we still keep in touch through internet, and I also been returning to the country 
uh, quite regularly uh, because of my job. Part of my because of my job, I I collect uh, materials from Vietnam and other Southeastern countries. So I should keep in touch with them. They they mostly still write, but as not as active before. Now they most of them are in the late fifties. And because of the uh, internet, uh, because of Facebook, I had to say so social media. It is like a crisis in general for for literature in Vietnam. I think nowadays people just go to Facebook and they they just don't read literature anymore. Like at you know, thirty years ago, people read books. This is not everyone read books because that's the only way for you. To get to know something, right? Right. Now, to go beyond your world. Exactly. Now it's just social media. So, so I think the readership is reducing, and uh, yeah, and yeah. So they're writing, but not as actively as before. Which is interesting because I think young people still experience similar things that we did before social media, right? They still are having forlorn love and they're still, right? All of the feelings that we felt, I think they still feel is just the the way to express it is different. And it's so new. I don't I don't know what's going to come out of it. But it's yeah, it's you can kind of feel it in the air that it's it's certainly a different environment. It is very different. So it's, it's a huge challenge for writers, I think especially poets. What, what do you want to do now? I mean, you can put a lot of work into writing a poem and then no one really <laughs> care about it anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in the, like 30 years ago, if you say if you wrote a, a controversial, politically controversial poem, you got attention. Uh, people read and talked about that. Now, you know, um, that's no longer the case because uh, on Facebook now, people even more become radical, people become more critical of the government and, mm-hmm. you know, and poetry in a way is quite ab- abstract, you know, so it, it doesn't make a lot of as you know, impactful as, say, uh, you know, a social, the social media. Right. So, yeah, it just sounds like I think we're still in the transitional period of trying to figure out the role of poetry in 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 modern day yeah. society. I mean, it's too soon. I think it's too soon, and it it to figure out where where that medium. Fits. Yeah, and even you know what about AI? They could write a poem too. Right. Oh, that's a diff- <laughs> that's a different podcast episode. <laughs> okay. Uh, so so the government has opened up and then retracted back in on itself. Yes. So. Around that time brings you to the United States. Was that one of the motivations of you leaving? Every, to be honest, everyone wanted to leave the country at that time. Oh wow! Yeah, it's not just for poets. It's not. It's everyone because uh, it was very difficult uh, e- economically and politically, and also in my case because we, um, my family, are from the south. We were with Americans fighting against. The, uh, the Vietnamese communists. So when they took over the country, we were kind of on the losing side. So um, basically, the, the, the future is not good for us. Um, we are discri- discriminated in education, in employment, and like that. So a lot of people from the South left the country uh, for both economic and political reasons. So everyone could go. go. Um, in my case, because you know, because I'm a, I put when I arrived in the U.S., I, I think I appreciate more the sense of freedom of expression. Even my life was very difficult at that time. I I still felt quite happy because now I I could write whatever I wanted. Mm. Yeah. 
so your your body was suffering just like before, but at least your mind was free. Uh, better even even physically, yeah, it's much life, much mm. better. Even even looking back, yeah, it was not an easy life. I did all kind of odd jobs, like uh, you know, working as a janitor, working as a newspaper a delivery person, and so on. But at least I wasn't hungry, to be honest. You know, um, I I that's that's the important thing, because um, yeah, and I it's like I I. And I, in my mind, I always told myself, you know, uh, I would overcome these difficulties, you know, if I go put myself to school and so on. Eventually, it would, would get better, which it wasn't the case in Vietnam. Right. So in your talk earlier, you read a, a piece, and, and I it's almost like you heard my request in my mind of what pieces I wanted to hear you read, and you read them, so thank you. Um, so before we get in too much about your life in the U.S. or as a new, a new person um, coming into a new environment with um, what I loved in the introduction of the volume of your translated poems in 2020 called Paper Bells and is translated by um, Haidang Fan. No relation. No. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, I was like, wait a minute, are they related? And no relation. But um, one of the beautiful things that he said in the introduction, I'm just going to read what he said here, is that at 24, you arrived in the United States young enough to start over in crucial ways, but old enough to carry yourself the cargo of your v Vietnamese identity, history, and luggage. And I thought, as an immigrant myself, that is such an accurate description, right, of, of what it means to, to start over. Yeah. Is you come in not only with the physical checked luggage, right, whatever the weight limit was at the time, but all of the luggage of home. Yeah. And, and how do you unpack that bag and where does all the stuff go? How do you put it away, quote, unquote, in this new home? Yeah. And um, one of the pieces that you read as you journey through um, the United States was uh, Greyhound 1992. When I read that you took the Greyhound bus diagonally yeah. across the country, which is probably the long, it was the longest, I feel like the longest possible trip mm. um, from Atlanta to Seattle. Um, and this piece just captures it so beautifully. And was this piece written originally in English or was it originally in Vietnamese? In, in Vietnamese. In Vietnamese, okay. So if you want to read it in whichever language you'd like or both, that's, okay. that's up to you. Um, but... It, it's unbelievable. I'm still in <laughs> shock that you sat in a bus that long. <laughs> it was a very long trip, and I I was totally new to this country, so uh, it I was even I was even nervous on the bus because I have to make so many connections on mm, the way. Mm -hmm. uh, but it it was and there wasn't a lot of room for error, uh, probably. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's it's also a way for me to see the country. Um, That's true. Yeah, it's probably the most honest look <laughs> that you can have. Um, of a country, honestly, <laughs> on the Greyhound. <laughs> I feel like everything else is is very, um, very artificial. Um, I've, I've been too scared to take the Greyhound, and oh. I'm discouraged as a young woman um, when it was, you know, your age to be transient. Uh, not, not, was it not recommended um, for young women on the Greyhound? Yeah, no, I, I would afraid if my daughter takes a Greyhound nowadays, but I mean, 
I didn't have a choice. <laughs> right. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. So, so here is Greyhound 1992. Okay. Uh, Greyhound 1992. In 92, I crossed the country from Atlanta to Seattle by bus. I had 3,100 and about that much English. Over the flat fields of the Midwest, I saw cows crowded like ants. The air smelled like a shit for miles upon miles. The locals seemed unfrazed. Had I stayed long enough, I wouldn't smell anything either, I guess. Many black folks rode the bus. Only later did I learn this was the easiest way for the poor to travel stick to stick. They had lots of time and little money. In the restroom of a transfer station in Denver, a white kid offered me a joint and something else. That was also the first time I saw an Indian, not from a movie. He was so drunk to remember what tribe he belonged to. He didn't carry a gun or bow, but held a tall boy while slumped in a corner. I turned down the joint and something else to avoid become a yellow man who exists only in the movies. I sat beside a Hermandu shorter than me. This guy drank meal the whole trip. You might have thought he was a loser, hoping for a second growth, but I know why he drinks so much milk. It's simple, his stomach hurt. I, too, suffered from gastritic ones. The results of years of starvation and bitterness from growing up in a piss-poor nation. He clutched his judge, made it in the USA 75 cents. Like a pair of fake breasts you toss in the trash after sucking. Back then, I felt like an immigrant made from plastic, resilient and resistant to all types of acid. In 1992, the great house from Atlanta to Seattle only cost $85 for the 2,600-mile journey. America, you swallowed me down your throat cheaper than dirt. And that was a piece from 2004. Yes. Was that published in, in um, the collection translated to be manufacturing poetry? Is that... Yeah, or a different collection. That, that was the one, uh, manufacturing poetry. Jet um, Thao is in. That's the the Vietnamese original in that book. Was in that book. And I love um, your translator's description here, that says you write in the deceptively simple language and plain spoken voice, but are quietly defiant and endurant. You know, and I, I just. He, he's a wonderful writer also. Now I want to go read his work. Um, and and when I was reading through this collection, Paper Bells, that he translated of your work, it's. I did find myself wondering what, what was lost in the translation, right? Because it is it does read so simple, mm. but it's not, you know, um, and. It, it's it's so when I read your work, if if you'll indulge me for a minute, is that it kind of it goes into your brain and you're like, yeah, okay, mm-hmm, I see. It's very, um, and and he I think accurately described your work here as, as imagistic, 
right? It's you see a very clear picture of what's happening, and you're in the moment, you're in the story, you're in the narrative, and then it ends, and then all of a sudden, all the other stuff comes. Mm-hmm. It, it's very thought provoking um, because it doesn't. I and I want to ask you if this is on purpose. It doesn't settle well. Is that on? It's especially that piece, right? It's going along, and you're just describing kind of a passerby to to the the lower echelon of American life, and then it ends, and then there's this kind of general sense of malaise. Mm. Yes, I mean you said everything absolutely correct. <laughs> I mean better than better than I I I can talk about my 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 poem. Yes, um, so so I. I like to write like in sort of like a global language, and uh, as you you pointed out, images are very important in in my uh, writing because maybe because I a lot of my friends are painters, mm. uh, and I I like uh, Franco Hara. I like the New York School. Uh, you know they they also very imagery imagery uh, you know poets. Um, so, but also uh, I when I write I like to leave some space. For the readers to in, in, in interpret, um, I don't want to say everything you know straight out. Let, and I, I think that's that's the beauty of poetry. That is a good poetry to me is is like that. You, you give hint, you leave some space for people to think, um, yeah, and you leave space for people to interpret, you know, uh, and in for for their imagination. Um, so suppose poem like a like a Greyhound ninety two or, or you know you see it's like you see a, a, a short film, but and then it, it's up to you to how to perceive it, uh, the, the the images in in that poem. Yeah, so yeah, I mean you said everything very well about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I didn't mean that's just my like the feeling I got, and I and I read it a few times because I kept thinking. You know, the nice thing with poetry is. Each time you read it, you get a different, you get something yeah. a little bit different. Yeah, but I but I should also have uh, addressed the translation part that you that you asked me. So what was lost in the translation and and, and so on? Um, so I, I was working quite quite closely with Hai Dang Fang, my translator. Um, so I I constantly gave him my feedback, but I think I mean when when I write this. When I wrote the poem in Vietnamese for Vietnamese people, um, I think the the space for for the Vietnamese people, for the for the Vietnamese reader, um, is wider. I mean, because mm-hmm. I think we can understand each other better. Hai Dang Fang, when he translated me, I think he has the need, or only, or at least the tendency, to make it a little bit, you know, more approachable. He he uh. he he tries to fill some of the space, you know, like uh, in, in he, he tries to ease that sense of unease. Exactly. Yeah. So look, you know, the way he rearranges the word in a, in a sentence, we make it, you know, like a more straightforward talk, a, a, a more straightforward sentence to the audience of of English uh, mm, speakers, mm. which is fine. I mean. Uh, in a way, that's fine, but that's, I think that is also um, the challenge of, of challenging. Um, so, I, so I think you know, if you can read it in 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 Vietnamese, you will, it will be more unsettled, as you said. It also will be um, you see a, a sense of, of of freedom uh, more 
yeah, uh, in in those uh, in Vietnamese. So he does he does finish his um, Hai Dang does finish his introduction to to the collection paper bells with a little bit of a discussion or um, retelling, but it does sound very confessional yeah. to him. And you know, as as a fellow translator, you always feel nervous, and because not only are you translating something that you enjoy, right? So if it's a choice, if it's not something that like somebody assigned to you with literary work, that's generally, it's it's a very close relationship mm. between the writer and the translator because of all the spaces in between the lines, if you will. Um, and so when I read this, I really felt his pain, especially as a heritage language learner, right? So I'm going to read a little bit um, of a passage here of how he described the process. So he says, my Vietnamese is neither a foreign nor a native, a native tongue, but an uncanny one, at once my most intimate and my most estranged language. I did not learn Vietnamese formally until I was in my late 20s, and disused as an everyday language, it atrophies quickly. And he says here that he needed his mom to read it out loud in order for him to understand it, and that you did some of the transliteration for him as well, right? The pronunciation, because his his way of using Vietnamese was auditory and verbally only, and this is through the written text. Um, and I wish he were, in, he were in the room now so I can ask him, what was that process like, having your mom read these out loud? Because these are quite provocative. Yeah. Um, so what was that process like? Did you have to read some of it out loud to him in Vietnamese and just kind of discuss it? And, and when you were discussing the translations and the nuances and the gaps and what to leave and what to close, what language did you use? Yeah. So as you said, um, if Hai Dang was here, it would be more interesting to talk. So Hai Dang so and if I you're listening, please email me back. <laughs> Hai Dang and I used to, did, uh, used to do the reading together at other places so we, we so so this is the part that both of us will talk um, uh, but uh, getting back to how the process went um, so usually I was the one who who translated the first the rough translation of, of, of the poems but some of some of the poems, some of the poems for, for some of the poems poems Haidang also just did the whole thing by himself. Mm. What was that process like to have to translate your own work? Because when the thought comes to you and you decided to put it down, yeah. it was in Vietnamese. Yeah. So can tell tell me a little bit about what was that like to have to kind of go back and retrace your steps, but in a different pair of shoes. It is interesting. You had the tendency to rewrite it <laughs> in, in the new language. Because now it seems you are approaching, you're talking to a new audience, a different audience. So there's a, there's a, there's a tendency of making, you know, making things understandable, uh, more approachable to the new audience because you came from a different background, from a different language, from a different culture. So there's a tendency of rewriting certain things. But uh, So that's the tendency you have to resist, right? Because uh, because now I'm doing translation, uh, tra trans translation. I, I'm not not revision, not re re revision of my my poems. Uh, so Can you give us an example <laughs> of what was something that you were, were like really itching to revise. You know, like uh, things like you know, for instance, um, I mean, there are some things that I would say um, maybe about the the pers perspective about the world 
mm-hmm. you know, some of them. A few things that I it wasn't sensitive, but in the context of American culture, it could be sensitive. For instance, mm-hmm. you know, some lied about for, for instance for, for women. For instance, for, mm-hmm. that's one example. Um, a few things that and also to connect the dots. I mean, if you Vietnamese, you read a poem. You already have the dots in your mind. You already connected the dots in your mind. But for a new audience, and this is they don't don't have the same background as you do regarding the the Vietnam War, regarding the Vietnamese culture, and then you have to you have to give them like a more hint, mm-hmm. you know. So so there's there's tendency of like writing maybe a few adding a few words into it, rearrange the the sentences and the sentence and and another the other sentences. Things like that. So, um, so um, I did the rough translation, and then Hai Dang, Hai Dang also knows Vietnamese. Also, as, as he, he he honestly pointed out himself, you know, it it is not first language. So he he um, he did the revision. But I would say um, I very respect what Hai Dang working. I mean, I unless the the trans the translation is totally far off. From the original, I would suggest make suggestion. Otherwise, I I just let him do his things, uh, and I think he's doing a fine job. That's why you know, in 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 certain cases, it some it seems like even sound better in, in in English. So really, I mean, in in some cases, in certain cases, uh, I don't know. For the for the English speak, speaking audience, I think it's it sound better than if I do the translation myself. If I just stick. Very closely to the original, mm. you know what I mean. Um, but I, but I think uh, the co- the collaboration is is quite respectful to one another. Um, I, because I, I look at the a translator is someone that I mean in in especially in case of Haidang Fang, he's a writer, he's pro- he's a he's a professor of English. He really knows what he's doing, and and he's a very skillful uh, writer himself. So I I pretty much let him do his things. As long as it's, it's not too far from the original, uh, yeah. Does it still, when you read it out loud or to yourself silently, does it still sound like your voice? Can you hear your voice in it? In the English translation, yes, it's, it's still my voice. It's pretty close uh, to my my original uh, voice. Yeah, I, I when I read it in in English, I should read it as a as if is I was. It was written in English. I read, I read, I read it with passion. I, I, I as you can tell, I, I try to at least to, and I, I, f- I felt the poems when I, mm-hmm. when I, when I read them. So, and especially you know when they were translated so many years after when you wrote it, yeah. a lot has happened between two thousand four and two thousand twenty exactly, when yeah. this was published. Yeah. You know, and and. Were, are there pieces in this collection, Paper Bells, that you think back, you know, and, and we were discussing that poem when you were 17 earlier, were there some of them that you look back and you're like, I, I am a different person now. If I were to write this topic, it wouldn't be this anymore. Yes, in, in yeah, in, in a way, um, it, it would be the same. It would be the same. But also, I think I wrote one of my best poems, in those early years, mm. and and most of my readers still like those uh, poems, written in the early years when I just came to the U.S., late nineties, early two thousands. 
um, yeah, I mean, every every I'm I'm certainly not the same person that I was thirty years ago, twenty five years ago. Right. No one is. No. Hopefully, uh, no. Hopefully, no. no one is. Yeah, and I don't know. It's in in a good way. Um, like I've, uh, I I feel like I I'm drifting away from my home country more and more every day. Um, so now I come back to the U. The, um, like twenty years ago, I came back to Vietnam. I saw a lot of people. I make an effort to go to meet my friends. It I don't see that need anymore. I don't have the, the desire to do that anymore. Like for the last several trips, recent trip, I came and I I almost didn't see anyone. Mm. Uh, I feel like there's a distance, you know. Um, I mean, they they still some of them still good friends. Some of them for for some reason turn into some conspiracy theorists and thing and or you know it's so easy as we were saying <laughs> it's so easy to do that now yeah 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 and you know and given the political situation in america the last couple of years there was a division within the vietnamese community here in the u.s mm. and also in vietnam too i i lost two of my best friends because of political differences oh wow to be honest with you i should point it out the first the translator, the translator of, of my first book, mm-hmm. Lyndon, we're no longer in contact. Oh, he wow. just turned to a totally different person, which I, which I totally disagree with his, you know, yeah. politics. But I, I feel that you know, romantic breakups are easier on your heart than a friend breakup. Yeah, that's that's true because these are only not friend. This is my, you know, my. My buddy in in mm-hmm. literature, you yeah, know, yeah. In, in For lack of a better word, comrade. Yes, exactly. That's that's the right word, comrade. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's hard. I, especially with the the, you have to have a close relationship with with a literary translator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because it's like you said, it's you don't do a lot of readings because it's I don't you didn't you said you didn't want to stand up here and read your secrets to people. <laughs> And and I'm sorry to make you do this on the podcast, no less. But it it yeah, I can I can imagine. Um, I can only imagine how hard how hard that was. Um, so now you're in America. Mm. You've written the Greyhound, right? How many days did that take? Oh, yeah. Every every uh, the pr- the process of writing every poem is kind of different. But I mean, in general, this is how I I write. I write a lot of uh, drafts, but they 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 not connected to one another. Mm. So sometimes one idea come come up to me, I write it down. Uh, some some ima- images also you know come from books, from reading books, and mm. but also I but I change them a little bit, and then someday I try to put them together, and then so so to write a a, a short poem, say of twenty lines, I could use like uh, two hundred lines. Of draft, mm. but 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 they they, uh, they but as as draft they are not related, they they just so I just put them together and I I I continue to cut it out mm. to to do revision after revision, but I usually I don't write one poem in one take, and then revise the whole poem like that. I usually uh. I kind of like I put piece by piece together. So there are different versions trying to capture the same thing and yeah. then d- you kind of quilt weave them yeah. together yeah sometimes i i, I just you know I, I if i come up with one interesting idea or image i write it down and i use it as raw material you know when i write it down it might not force i didn't have i don't have an idea what i'm going to use 
that draft for. Mm. But then when I try to put them together, it's, it's it starts to make sense. And in order for it to make sense, I have to delete, I have to remove a lot mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Un- unrelated, ir- irrelevant part of it. Uh, but I would say I use a lot of materials for a symbol and s- apparently like a straightforward uh, mm-hmm. poem. Ah, okay. So it's a very um, kind of a distillery, a poet, po- poetic distillery. Yeah. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> you have to kind of mull it and yeah. see what what comes out. Yeah, yeah, and and usually interesting idea come to me when I wasn't write sit down to write a whole poem. It's just like you know when I read a book, mm-hmm. uh, when I when I see something interesting, um, when I talk to someone, and I I get something interesting from the conversation. Right, so one of the pieces that you read that was inspired by an image was um, 9-11 Hui, right? And where you saw, and I think for a certain generation, we remember where we were, Mm -hmm. right? I think for our parents' generation, they remembered, you know, when... um, like World War Two, our grandparents' generation, I guess they remember when World War Two was announced, right? Especially in the United States. So there's yeah. there's kind of generational um, psyche bookmarks, mm. so to say. So I remember where I was when I saw the images of um, the World Trade Center collapsing, mm. right? The plane f- flying into it. So this piece, um, 9/11 Huey, right? You saw the image. And then where were you, set the scene, and then how did this piece kind of talk us through the process mm-hmm. of how this piece got distilled, as it were? Yeah. So so um, when 9-11 happened, I was in Vietnam, returning to Vietnam to visit. That was in 2001. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just finished my uh, library school at UCLA, so I came back to visit. And uh, I was in the bar, you know, having f- a good time. Was uh, it a Vietnamese bar, an expat bar? What what kind of what? Yeah. Area was the, it in? Okay, so I came back uh, from America, so I hang out in the bars that you ha- I have to say a little bit expensive, right? Mm. Uh, so in in the bar you had a mix mixture of local Vietnamese who we I would say have money mm-hmm. and expat and, mm-hmm. and tourists and things like that. It's in in the central of the city mm. in District One. Oh, yes. oh, that is the, it's still expensive. It is District still expensive. One. It is yeah. still what? It's still so I, I was in the bar. Um, so I saw the, the images, as you said, the building collapsing. Uh, I, I could, I didn't, I didn't know what was it. And I think, I think many did also many people it didn't know what it, 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 it was happening because they turned off the sound of the TV in the bar. Of course. Because, yeah. of, because of music. So I, I thought maybe I was watching some kind of movie, you know, some they just maybe projecting some movie. But later, very soon, I, when I got out of the bar and then I, I heard people talking and then I, I started to find out what was it. So at that time, it was in 2000, I didn't have an idea to write about that event at that time yet, right? So I write the, the, the poem, Hey Massacre, many years ago um, when... At the commemorate, the commemorate mm-hmm. of, of the 9-11. Mm. So at that time, the idea of, you know, in America, you know, it was a, obviously a, a, a tragedy. 
But th- there was also another tragedy in Vietnam that we couldn't talk about, mm. which is a massacre in Hue. There wasn't an annual commemoration. No, absolutely not. You're not even allowed to talk about that. Um, so that, so that at that time, you know, the the comparison started to to begin to form. Uh, you know, started uh, the idea for me to write the poem. Uh, but I mean, like, yeah. But and then when I write, wrote the the poem, the image of myself in the bar in Saigon back in 2001 came back with mm. all the smell of the place, on the the. The, the smoke of cigarette at that time, the sound, everything. Um, so yeah, so you 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 accumulate, you know, experience accumulate images over the time, and at some point you you use them for. Poem. Yeah, it's. I think we have a lot of uh, similar situations, especially in Thai history, mm. um, and I because I am not trained in literature. I'm just a very happy consumer of literature. Um, Now I'm curious of of what is happening in in current um, poetic collections um, in in Thai society because there are so many things mm-hmm. we can't talk about. Um, and you mentioned too, you know, that your work, certain ones, just cannot or has not been published, right? In, yes, in Vietnam, That's and correct. and in fact, when you were in California, you started publishing in Vietnamese language. Publishing houses or mm. uh, venues, right? How how did that come to be, and what was that like to to officially be a poet in exile? Yeah, well, um, the the Vietnamese literature in exile has is very very active, or at least was very active. Um, so back in the so the Vietnamese community. Was established in the U.S. since 1975. And, oh, and right, like right away. Right, right away in 1975. So 1975, there was a wave of immigrants coming to the U.S. And over the years, in the 80s, that was the wave of both people, and in the 90s, people who came through different programs uh, allowed, officially, mm-hmm. uh, legally allowed, officially allowed by, by the U.S. government. Um, so, and. Um, When the Vietnamese came to the U.S., they brought with them the writers, quite many writers. So there's a, a generation of writers who make their name in South Vietnam before 1975. So that was like the, the, the first generation. Now they all, most of them have, you know, passed away. Mm-hmm. And then there's a young, younger generation of the both people who started to write in the 80s, and then my generation, generation a little bit later. 1990s, so uh, there's a publishing houses in the in the Vietnamese communities. There are quite many literary magazines, journals in Vietnam in in the community at that time. Most of them are in California, and some are in uh, the Virginia uh, DC ah, okay. district. That's also a very where the Vietnamese people ended yes, up. Yes, yeah, ended up. Um, so that that's how I. Uh, So that I so I I send my writing to those places to those magazines. How did you learn about them? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I went to the U.S. is to to go find find them to read. Ah, uh, you uh, need to find pe- find your people. Yeah, you know, to see how how people write in in Vietnamese Vietnamese writer write in the U.S. What they write about, you know, and what they because in Vietnam, before I came here, I couldn't read those those writing. Ah, they 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 were not allowed to. 
to be imported to Vietnam. The, the post office will, you know, will not allow for those uh, publication to get. So to those Vietnam. were previously inaccessible voices. No, no, it's not. Not yes, that's correct. I mean, I mean, you're correct. It wasn't accessible. Um, so for a long time, I would say up to 2000s, early 2000s, there wasn't much connection, much you know, um, between the the writers in 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 exile and the the, the writer in Vietnam because uh, the publication here was not allowed to be imported to to Vietnam. Um, only with the internet, uh, with the online journal, that you know, uh, people can read one another. Mm. And what was your first impression? So you got here, you're you're hungry for these voices that you you couldn't hear before. You find them. What what were they like to you? First impression. Yeah, they were good. They were very good. Um, they 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 were what I wanted to read. They were good because in Vietnam at that time, as you know, uh, literature for a long time was just propaganda mostly. And then in later years, as I mentioned earlier, we, we, we started to have a little bit freedom. But you still can say a lot of things, even, you know, love. Um, even love, it had to be in a stricter way. You know, you, it say, you cannot say, for instance, you cannot write about a, a sexual scene in a book, right? It, uh. it, it, would, it would consider to obscene by the government, and not... Uh, <laughs> no translation no, of Pablo <laughs> Neruda no, then. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, so, so he is, uh, that's another part. So unfortunately, I, I read uh, a, a very good writer, a friend of mine by Zhang Bu. His name is Zhang Bu. He's a novelist. And, and he is a very strong writer. He was influenced by uh, the, uh, the surreal, the ma- magical surrealism ah. of, of South America. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was very interesting. So... Marquez and Marquez, uh, exactly, absolutely Marquez, yeah. So and and he his writing was you know, he has a lot of like a sexual scene in mm-hmm. the writing, uh, but it's very strong, very interesting. I mean, so you feel like all oh, this is very fresh. He how pe- this is how people write. They can write whatever, basically whatever they wanted mm-hmm. uh, t- wanted to write. So, uh, also at at that time, nineteen um, nineties. There were still quite many young writers. It's not the case today. Today, you know, 2023, um, most of the writers in... I was considered like the youngest. Uh, we ge- were all ge- young ones. Yeah, how? generation, and now I, I no longer. And the problem is there's not a young generation of writer, a Vietnamese writer here in the U.S. Like, it's, that's it. That's it. You know, I'm probably the last So generation. Vietnamese language writers, you mean? Yes, uh, yes. Okay. Um, I mean, that's what I meant. Um, yeah. Because there's no more uh, major ways of mm. immigrants, of mm. new of new people coming in. Um, so, I so that's another thing you know to talk about. Um, it's like you know what will happen to Vietnamese literature here in the U.S. Uh, I think it, it will be fading away, you know. Um, so, but hopefully, what what we left behind, you know, still be interesting. And um, so you asked me, you know, how I perceive the literature here when I came here. It Were there similar name, oh, familiar names? Yeah, I mean some uh, familiar. Name. I mean, I already heard some of the names when I was in Vietnam. Or even I could not read their writing. Ah, I because people talk about them. That's what we talk about. We talk about names, you know, people. Mm, right, listen, right. Yeah. Names can be said, but not their work. No, not exactly the work. So we we have an idea what they write about, uh, but we don't know 
we don't you know, we haven't read them yet. Um, but I, and also another thing is when I came here, I was able to read the work published in, in Vietnam before 1975. S- you know, mm. uh, and the the the, the literature in ni- before 1975 Vietnam was also very active. Um, that was a time that people experimented with a lot of uh, themes, uh, a lot of philosophies. Um, Extensionalism was mm. was a big thing. At that, that makes time. sense for the time yeah, period. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that time. Um, so I, I, you know, after 1975, I was able to find some of the books to read when oh I wo- wow. when I was in Vietnam. But when I came here, you know, I had I got more. So people know, brought them. People brought them, and I'd also re reprint them here. Oh wow! Yeah, um, yeah. So so it was it it was exciting for me, uh, although. Unlike in Vietnam, where writers meet almost every day and spend hours at coffee, here you 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 exist in kind of a, an isolation. You know, um, mm. I was in in Seattle at that time. I couldn't. I don't have any. I didn't have any f- like friend writer around me. So, so I wrote only. I live uh, just by myself pretty much. So, the living situation is different. In a way, is is interesting because you know it, it gives a lot of time to. To think and write instead of just talking. <laughs> right. So, did your work change because of of the new living situation? Right. You you got on a bus. It took you three days to cross the country. You get to a new place, new weather. Right. So, Atl- Vietnam to Adva- Atlanta is not a, a huge no. ecological change, yes. but definitely to to Seattle. And then you find yourself kind of not only are you in exile from Vietnam, but in exile from your Vietnamese language literary mm-hmm. circle. So what what happened with your work? You think? Yeah, I mean life is totally different. Uh, just you're facing a lot of new things, but also with the background of your home country and your back. Um, I think a, a sense of of adventure. Mm. You know, it's difficult, but that's a sense of adventure. Seeing new things, uh, and you always had a t- tendency of comparison. You know, you know this is how things were done. And this was done in back in Vietnam, and this is, is how thing is done here. Uh, so, so there's just a sense of appreciation, but also a sense of uh, of, of isolation, of lonely. Lonely. I think loneliness is a bigger thing because uh, um, you don't have a community around. In my case, I don't. I didn't live in Little Saigon or within the community, mm-hmm. so I didn't have any Vietnamese around. Um, you know, s- learning a new language, which is always a challenge, even <laughs> today. Uh, and you know, um, so yeah, it's 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 different. But uh, but that that gave me the materials to write mm. poems. So I think my 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 poems written in the U.S. are quite different from the ones in written in Vietnam. In the book that that you had, paper bells, um, there are a few poems written. Um, when I was in Vietnam, uh, a, few, a few very first one, uh, um, for instance, I just read the titles here. Uh, Rainy Day Song, Day mm-hmm. Flowers in the Highland, May. Those are the, the three poems written when I was in Vietnam. It's, it's quite different. Uh, it's a little bit romantic, a little bit, uh, but but also because of if I do, didn't write that way, it w- I wouldn't be able to publish. Ah, you know what I mean? Right. Um, I mean, you you wouldn't be able to write about your suffers, 
living in the country because you know who suffer under the wonderful re- you know communist regime right 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 so, right. <laughs> so um yeah so i th- i think my writing here has become more realistic become more direct um and i think it's 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 a good thing for me to be able to to move and and write yeah yeah what what a joy to be able to oh, um suffer openly <laughs> that's that yeah you're right i mean just yeah um, and it's a weird thing to say, but it is what it is, right? It is what it is in a way that, you know, um, I mean, yeah, you live your life fully and you're you able to express that um, in, in your writing. It's just the matter of you, you're willing to write or not, you're lazy or you or not, but you can do it. And you closed off your talk with the, before you, before you started reading, I, I had one poem that was that I starred when I read it um, and when you said you were going to read it and and I'll even show you my notes it has it has hearts um, on it it's okay. called summer radio okay <laughs> all right <laughs> and, and um, so let's I think that's a hap it's not a happy poem no. but I think it's a happy place to end and I think it really when I read it I read it three times in a row yeah because I wanted to see how it would settle each time. And, and I think that the theme of our conversation today is, is what it means to be in exile, right? From, from your people, from your language, from your life, from past friends, from being able to express yourself, from feelings that you have, mm. right? It's just that, that layer of being removed. And when I read this, um, it really resonated with me as, as a fellow immigrant, um, our reasons for coming here and the situations that we got into are different. But I think that's, that's the power of poetry is those gaps, mm. right, that you talked about is that you have room to the, the pants aren't so tight fitting that other people can't try them on. Mm. And um, so let's end our conversation today with Summer Radio. And this is a piece from 2012. Yes. So Summer Radio, um, this is quite a political um, poem, which is part of my (laughs) my writing. Um, The poem will will talk, mention the word reconciliation. So I need to provide a little background about that. So... so, um, the Vietnamese government has always uh, talked about reconciliation with the overseas Vietnamese communities here. Um, we are, the, the, the Vietnamese in America, most of them are refugees and they are in disagreement with the, the regime, the, the government in Vietnam at the moment. So, uh, but we send back a lot of money so, um, to help our families in Vietnam and so on. So. So, uh, so in, in, in a way, we are, you know, a, an attractive community <laughs> to the Vietnamese government. Um, and they always talk about reconciliation. But on the other hand, they don't accept the, our history, the history of the, the overseas people, the boat people. Uh, they don't accept the history of the South. Uh, I mean, there's were, there are also two sides in the world. Right, the visitors you can't have a war with two sides. Exactly. <laughs> so I mean, let us you know speak 
our history, you know, listen, uh, just let, we, all we ask is to to recognize our history, uh, to let us speak, uh, to talk about things that could be com- uncomfortable, but it's, it will heal, you know, mm. heal things. Unfortunately, that is not what the people uh, in the in power in Vietnam thinking. So when they talk reconciliation, it appears to be very artificial to me. Mm. And I would I can tell you, most of people here in the U.S. reject that idea, not because we don't want to reconcile, but because we think it's not sincere. Mm. It doesn't. It's not the kind of reconciliation you're looking for. Looking for, and it will not help us. It will. It will not heal our pain, our, our you know, mm. our wound. Mm-hmm. Um, so this poem is about that. This this poem it is basically to address the people in Vietnam. It's called Summer Radio. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Up broken ears, drum, drums. This is the voice of solitude, broadcasting to you live. From America in the middle of a cornfield on the channel of exile with no regrets. Today's high temp will be hot, 98 degree hard on, no rain and suffocating atmospheric conditions due to crazy stories coming from the east. To rescue her daughter, a mother set herself on fire. Two naked women laughs a body of land, trying to save a river. A crowd waved banners across a bridge, only to be kicked into the water. Meanwhile, all is quiet in the West, business as usual, eat less fat, drive your car in circles, red light slow disintegration, life is an, life is an iceberg. It melts faster on sunny days. Let's switch to the reconciliation reconciliation program. Forget all your suffering, humiliation, sorrow, and bitterness. Please call this number to chat. 1-800-382-5968 or 1-800-F-U-C-K-Y-O-U. Now for a commercial break. And that was Summer Radio, a piece from 1919. 19. Wow, 2012. Yeah. You were not alive in 1912. <laughs> but I think I got triggered by all, all is quiet in the West. <laughs> because that's a, you know, right, all quiet on the Western Front, yeah. the book about World War I. So thank you again um, for joining us for an episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. You can get the translated collection of Fan Yen Hao poetry called Paper Bells, translated with forward by Haidang Fan, and it is published by the Song Cave in 2020. And you can get this book at www.the/song/cave.com. Yeah. Thank you again for joining me. And what a joy it is to hear you read and talk about your work. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the talk, uh, Kenjana. It's, it's very uh, nice talking to you. I think you read my poem well. You said very, you know, about my my writing very, very well. So thank you for the opportunity opportunity to um, to, um, to talk to you and, and hopefully to uh, some audience. 
And most of the time when we have guests on this show, I don't know when I'll see them again, but we have monthly meetings. So I will see you very soon, if okay. not before. All Thank right. you. Yeah, see you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. We would like to give thanks to Tantracoon for the use of his track, Electric Can, and a thanks to our audio producer, Amelia McCoy. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you tune in next time.